morning. <laughs> What's shaking, Eddie? How's it going? Oh, you know, it's going pretty good. Pretty good. You better uh, better uh, check real quick to think whether the audio is acceptable. I had a, a Skype call with somebody earlier this week that was terrible. It sounds quite good. Does it? Yeah, I think it does. Well, then, fine. Good morning, John. Lennon, you, how is it going? Do you feel good? I feel good. You got a haircut. A little short. A little too short. Really? A little too, too Gertrude Steinian. You know. What's wrong with that? I'm an admirer of Stein. <laughs> no, I, okay. I, think that's a, I think that's... You know, the um, Rian, of course, has been uh, aggressively researching Gertrude and Alice, has read maybe every book written in English about them. And uh, um, she is universally described as um, unexpectedly, surprisingly attractive. That people mm. people just fall in love with her, mm-hmm. even though in pictures she she seems kind of uh, you know kind of homely. But she was she clearly had a, a personal magnetism. Yeah. Well, she quarreled with with her portraits. Yeah. Right. Like the the famous Picasso portrait reportedly bears very little resemblance to her. Yeah, well, that's. <laughs> I think Picasso just <laughs> did whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah. Yeah, but he was. I mean, it wasn't like a three nosed, you know, Gertrude of the three noses. It was, right. Yeah, realistic. Uh, yeah. So I have th- I have three lamps in the room. I have been trying to make it so that the what you see, John Lennon, as you look into your Skype window. Yeah, is not some sort of shadow man, but I seem to have failed. No, you are. You have become one hundred percent shadow man. They, I'll tell you what the reason is. Uh, is that there's the, right the one right behind you? It's it's taking the it's taking the uh, light reading from the lamp that's right yeah, behind you. Here he goes. Here he goes. Yeah. That's a little better. Maybe that's some improvement. It's slightly improved, yeah. The, you got to put the the lamp should be if you want your face to be seen. The lamp should be behind the computer. Lamp behind computer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's today's tech minute with Ed and John. <laughs> For some reason, tech minute is coming coming over the radio in 1930. Uh, uh, yeah, the teletype from the NBC Blue Room. <laughs> Technical specifications. Larry Livingston. <laughs> 1933. Wait a minute. Did you just make that up? Technical specifications with Larry Livingston? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Seems like that might be something from the NBC Blue Room from high atop. Um, <laughs> barked out. Directly into your gramophone. Oh, yeah. Um. So... Uh. Okay, so Gertrude Stein, Lamps, uh, Larry Livingston. What else we got? <laughs> well, I think that's about it. I think we've covered uh, <laughs> haircuts. Covered everything. I'm actually going to. Uh, I'm actually going to trim, trim everything uh, after the podcast. I think I'll take a walk and then I'll, I'll trim everything. My hair. This uh, my beard. This chimpanzee beard that you have. Yeah. 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 Your handlers have. To create it, so no, actually, uh, uh, my handler would like it to be uh, long, like the like uh, as is as is uh, popular with hip people. Uh, to have a big, long, big beard, 
or as she said once, I think I've quoted this on the podcast before, Rian would like me to have a big long beard with owls living in it. Yeah. Hoot hoot. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm not, I'm, I want to be tidy. Well, I think you could have a tidy beard that is unlike those um, uh, characterized in uh, coffee commercials. Um, <laughs> if it were maybe came to a point, I think. In it, like Mephistopheles? Like Mephistopheles or a goat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a triangle. You know, I think it would look, be a good look. Yeah, but hi, I'm not your I'm not your tonsorialist. <laughs> I'm not your aesthetic. I wish, I wish you were consultant, you were, Ed. Aesthetic consultant. So uh, I'm not, uh, as it turns out, coming to Seattle in a few weeks, as I thought I was going to. the The Hugo House event has been postponed until spring. That's right, and but hopefully in spring it'll be a, a even bigger shebang. Yeah, yeah, and maybe the rain will have stopped. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, John. no John. maybe we maybe uh once uh, the date's set we can get you down to portland too i something. would love that i we'll would love next, that. contrive something yeah i think that'd be a good uh a good uh, double shot we're putting together a show in february at the alberta abbey uh our, triggering town two yeah i was gonna ask with, I, just thinking about the triggering town review the other day yeah with sam watts from ghosts i've met and some sampling of moon doggies, and I don't Sweet. know who else we'll have. Uh, it's a great facility. It'll be down here in Portland, the Alberta Abbey, which is an old church. It's been converted into a performance and community space. I went to a puppet show there a couple of days ago. It was a good, proper puppet show. Taking Oscar to a couple of things that were billed as puppet shows that were just Waldorf school people and aprons <laughs> um, with some stuffed animals. That they sort of made talk the same way that I do at home, the same yeah. skill level. Hi, yeah. I'm a alligator or a dragon. I don't know. Uh, make sure to wipe. You know, but this was a proper puppet show. I have, <laughs> uh, no. by a, a, a you know some accomplished puppeteer, a combination yeah. of marionette as well as hand puppet. Yeah. Uh, the puppeteer largely disappeared. Uh, <laughs> good, good, good. That's what you want. There was a musical program. Uh, could not sing. Could not sing. But that some made it more endearing. It was pretty good. So it's a nice space. It's a nice space. So I, I, I think we'll have a nice triggering town sometime in February. Are you going to draw from uh, more uh, Portland writers and performers? I haven't, I haven't quite figured out the lineup. Yeah. It's uh, we only have two or three days in the theater. Last time we had two weeks. Oh, um, so with with that limited window, I think that will. I don't know if that makes it easier for it to be Seattle people coming down for a few days, or if that kind of rules it out. Don't know. We'll see. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Still, still trying to wrap my head around what we might do or be able to do with it, or what to call it. We might not call it that. Really? I mean, there's a name. It, it you're not in the triggering town or near it anymore, right? And it, uh, I don't know how to get people to attend. It seems like how you name something might have some effect on attendance, right? Maybe independent it, of content. Yeah, if you um, if you make sure to uh, 
to avoid any mention of literature, yeah, I think you you might be in good shape. Like what we had, Sam and Kate had maybe three hundred and fifty, four hundred people in the Union Club for a pie and whiskey event. Yeah, right. Secretly a poetry and fiction reading. Exactly. There, it's it wasn't a lie. Pie and whiskey no? were present. Yeah, and were consumed in great quantities. But sure. while they were enjoying them, we just served up a little uh, served up a little literature. It wasn't a bait and switch. No, it was a, a bait and a switch. <laughs> it was a bait, and here's some more bait. <laughs> it's a bait and some less appealing bait. It was a value added bait. <laughs> I'm going to Miami this week. Really, to Miami on oh, that's right. You, I think you told me Thursday mm-hmm. to attend the Miami Book Festival. Uh. So, does the Miami Book Festival have any of the kind of local flavor of, say, the Montana Book Festival, where in addition to writers from all over, there are also focusing on Florida writers? That seems to be the case. Yeah, that so does seem to be the case. Yeah. Who are the who are some of the the ones who will be honored, celebrated, or uh, participating? Florida some Floridians, writers. yeah, some local Floridians. I believe Campbell McGrath, the poet. Yeah. Good. Um. I think they're going to put Dave Barry in Frozen Carbonite. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? Fun? No, I don't know. I don't know. Because that's, that's kind of gag that I might expect. Actually, that might I, that might come to pass. Yeah, that might come to pass. Um, he's the guy who writes Garfield, right? Yeah, yeah. It's right. all the same guy who does like that and Garfield and Alf <laughs> and. It's got to be one guy, one villain who's behind a lot of our feel-good guy. Did you ever see um, my friend Andy, my Scottish cartoonist friend Andy? Uh, he has the website pandyland.net, and uh, mm-hmm. he uh, he did a cartoon called um, Garbert, which was a mashup of Garfield and Dilbert. <laughs> And I I challenged him to do a Dillfield, and he did it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there are two of these. I'll try to link to them. Although it's kind of hard to kind of hard to find find them for some reason. Anyway, I'm I'm sure that you will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll uh, uh, very, Salman Rushdie. Funny. Will be oh, he's going to be there. Reportedly. Cool. Um, and and. 500 other people. Oh, yeah, them. It's, I, uh, uh, the other 500. Um, I don't know. I'll get on a plane, go to Miami. It's a lit a fest. couple readings and go back. But yeah. my, my, my back hurts like the Dickens. That's a literary, <laughs> a literary description of how so my back people, feels. People call Charles Dickens the Dickens. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andy's site is down. I can't find the cartoons. Uh, Sorry. So I'm a little... Uh, I think that'll that'll put a uh, a muscle spasm in, into the the mix. So Ed, I um, we've been accused of this being a um, middle-aged guys man- talking about their maladies. Exactly. Show, um, and I I have to say that it's probably gonna those those people those of our few listeners who are who have taken note of this and don't like it. I think it's probably gonna continue, but I'm it it's starting to hurt to get out of bed. And I'm not happy yeah, about like it. Like with my back, they're going to have to learn how to like it. <laughs> exactly. Or how to, 
how to adjust to it, how to stretch a little bit. Hearing um, hearing Ed and John talk about their backs is part of getting older, and they should know that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a natural part of getting older. Mm-hmm. It's hearing your acquaintances and friends <laughs> discuss their backs. Um, oh, and the toilet training uh, 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 conflicts with their children. Yeah, so all the phases of life that are not interesting. And uh, those are sometimes ones. a little bit of an accent. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, you got a problem with uh, New Jersey gangsters who are middle-aged and have babies? <laughs> <laughs> How's that going, by the way? Did the, uh, did the, did the alligator mm, puppet... Some progress. It? We went to Joanne's Fabrics last night. <laughs> yeah. It's a good place for a three or four year old to go to. Yeah. Well, it's dark all the time here. Yeah. It's dark all the time. It's dark right now. Yeah. And it is going to be dark at about three o'clock. Right. And uh, um, are you right on a? Are you right on a? T- a, a no, you're you're the days the days are western. Shorter. The days are shorter um, as they are there, but it's also very overcast right now. Yeah. And so it's. Late late afternoon at three o'clock and it's overcast. It's dark. Yeah, that's yeah. cool or not cool. So instead I, of I've staying forgotten in, the difference between cool and not cool because I'm right, thirty five. Well, he never may not have known. Yeah, to begin with. Um, so you have to force yourself to go outside to do things or to run errands, even though it it feels like it's two in the morning. It's yeah. not. It's six. So I went to Joanne's Fabrics and uh, uh, bought some things. And uh, some fabrics. And uh, almost made it home. And he was saying in the car for the first time that he was sort of aware that he had the poop had to come out of him. Yeah. Um, which is an independent entity, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't think of it that way before toilet yeah. training. No, it's like a, a uh, you know, some other some animal, you know, something from the animal kingdom. <laughs> Um, and got got home, and then he wouldn't go, uh, but he was telling us that we needed to go. Oh. <laughs> didn't really need to. So you went and, and then installed went, two additional toilets. And then he went and hid and, and pooped his jeans. Oh. Like behind a, a curtain. <laughs> but we felt, we still we felt like we were, it was progress. That's what progress is. Progress is incremental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's i i think that's pretty good it's not bad he has feelings mm-hmm. about it yeah the boy has feelings yeah. that's important yeah. so that's good <laughs> um other than that the thrills and chills here in uh, rose city park are um incremental minor <laughs> um I'm missing out on a lot of great stuff. Like what? Uh, fine events. Uh, my friends Matthew and Michael Dickman uh, performed a uh, some musical composition that some local avant-garde composer had had uh, made with them in mind from their poetry. Oh wow! And some wild, strange, professional sort of thing that I couldn't go to. Uh, can I share with you a little fantasy I have about the Dickman brothers? Mm. Um, let, me, uh, let me type something out here. Um, I keep imagining that they are going to um, stage a, a festival 
mm-hmm. ostensibly celebrating their own work, um, but also inviting other poets to participate called Dickmania. And it would mm-hmm. take the it would take the um form of WrestleMania, uh the the eighties WrestleMania events, and it would be in a professional wrestling ring, except mm-hmm. it would be a poetry thing that they would MC essentially. And this would be With a recurring the, uh, event. One of the things I like about boxing MCs is, is the microphone hangs from yeah. the uh, from the from the rafters. Yeah, well, definitely. Big long cord. Yeah, we need that for poetry readings. Yeah. So yeah. I, but I feel I feel that uh, this would. I think you know, Ed. I think it might save poetry because poetry is in danger. You know. No, it's not. <laughs> no, wrestling's in danger. <laughs> it might be. No one asks. Um, They're comparable forms, I think. Very, very rarely uh, do people turn to wrestling in in uh, uh, moments of bereavement or great joy. <laughs> very rarely, when they're putting together the program for a wedding or a funeral, do they think, "Well, where where are we going to have the wrestling <laughs> after the invocation, or should we start with the wrestling match?" <laughs> And then go to um, Adesti Fidelis. <laughs> if only they did. <laughs> oh, I wish they. I wish they very much that they did. They just wrestling was included in, more in ceremonies. The wrong kind of catharsis. Yeah. Oh man, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it would be in direct competition with poetry. I think it would. It would end with the uh, the victor getting to read a poem and the. While the loser uh, bleeds out <laughs> and listens to the poem, <laughs> listens to the poem. So let me ask you this: What uh, can you name? Well, the winner reads an elegy to the um, to the loser. Uh, <laughs> boy, I really like this. I really like this. Um, and I think Michael and Matthew could uh, could spearhead this as a new business. They could kickstart this. They could po- steampunk po- it. Poetry wrestling funeral mm-hmm. hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what are some of your favorite? You th- would you say the most successfully exciting, fun, innovative, maybe, but not necessarily literary events that you've attended? How how can it be done right? Because I I personally. Um, Though I have, you know, for years helped uh, facilitate a reading series, I've done lots of readings. I, f- I, I often feel the format is very dull, uh, even when I like the writer. So, what, have have you been? What things have you been to that you think were the most, most exciting? Um, someone buys a book and goes home and reads it. <laughs> yeah, it's the best kind of literary event. <laughs> Everything else is a declension i'm not sure that's the right use of that word everything else is everything else every other kind of literary event is a step down from somebody buying a book or checking it out from the library or stealing it from a neighbor's home yeah and and reading it and thinking uh, emotionally and critically about it and then maybe talking about it with somebody okay or keeping those thoughts to themselves (laughs) better yet better yet (laughs) (laughs) I think that that is overlooked as a literary um, event. Sure, because you can't, you can't. Well, you can sell drinks to it, actually. Yeah. 
So in that sense, the silent reading parties um, at the Sorrento Hotel, hosted by Stranger editor Christopher Zell, Christopher yeah. Frizzell, are, um, I think, a great literary event. because what they. Is, what is this event? Uh, it's the silent reading party All right. held monthly at the Sorrento Hotel in the lobby. It's a nice oaken or mahogany library, uh, okay. library-ish lobby of an old hotel in Seattle on Capitol Hill. I have found its uh, website. So it, does everyone read the same thing at this party? No, you read, what, read whatever you want. Uh, why so would you... Take, take a chair and uh, read read as you please. So the music, if there's there's no music, the music I is turned off? I don't think there's any music, no. There's no ambient music because that's... That's what I don't like about doing anything in public, is that there's always music playing. I don't think there's any music. I think they turn the music off. That's good. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to this for, for any Seattleites who would like to... No. Silent like to Reading Park is a great, great literary event. Mm-hmm. Is it a good place to uh, meet some of your favorite Seattle writers? Do they go to it? Oh, yeah. I think, uh, I think frequently. Um, uh, sometimes he has somebody, some writer, sort of host it. And I think that hosting might uh, might consist of just also being there. Yeah. So there's no yeah. sort of, is there a mic where someone gives an introduction to the event and says, happy reading. Today we're... No, no that would get in the way of the... Good. So it's, ve- it's very stealthy. Yeah. So but there's no way to distinguish between a person who came and is reading in the lobby, specifically as part of the silent reading party, and someone who just happens to be in the lobby reading. Precisely. I like it. Precisely so. Yeah. Do you, so are there? Good, good uh, okay, are there? Okay, so my I guess I'm going to persist with this. Do you? Do you think that there are some readings that are actual straight up enhancements to reading silently? Are they? Are any? Are are they never value added? No, they're. I mean, they're okay. I mean, I, I, I'm trying trying to figure out from what perspective. Like from mine, my perspective socially as somebody who likes the company of other writers and readers, mm-hmm. um, and talking about books and literary matters and having some drinks. Most of most literary events are satisfying for me socially in that way. But I'm an extrovert. I like right. that. If I was into. You consider yourself an extra. You know, it's odd. I was standing in the kitchen making waffles this morning, and I was thinking about extroversion and introversion. Yes. And I thought, what would Ed call himself? An extrovert or an introvert? And then I thought, Ed would call himself an introvert. And here, un. But I would be, I would call, I might call myself an introvert <laughs> incorrectly. <laughs> it, would be an, it would be aspirationally an introvert because most of my things I want to do would require more, really require more solitude. And one of the things that is keeping me from what's keeping me from writing more and thinking more critically is that yeah. I don't spend enough time at my desk because yeah. there's nobody else here. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I know what you mean. And of course, the, it's a false binary. There's, you know, many of us who are extroverts and also writers require a certain degree of solitude, um, during which time we we could pass as introverts. So, yeah. But anyway, yes. So go on. I like going out and seeing people. Yeah. Um, so 
like the literary any literary event at the Hugo House is usually very satisfactory because there's a bar, and it's this it's the same milieu. Always know somebody, mm-hmm. even if it's somebody I haven't seen for a while. Um, I don't know. I like a I like a festival atmosphere, although it seems a little silly with books sometimes. Unfortunately, especially if the if the number of writers um, outrageously dwarfs the number of readers, or just you know. Such such as the AWP Hilton Lobby. Such as the AWP AWP is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. I mean, I have a good time at it for the social reasons, but I mean, oh I sure, just, it is it is it is deathly. <laughs> I mean, it does it does a lot of social good, but I mean, the people have a good time. Yeah, I don't I don't know what I don't think it's done. I don't I don't know what good it's done for like books and writing. You're going to go, though, next uh, spring. I might go. I think I'm going to go to L.A. I don't have any plans. Um, You're going to need a trip to L.A. one way or another at that point. Oh, I like going to L.A. L.A. every year anyway. Yeah. My next book doesn't come out until the fall. Yeah. Is it now now, uh, codified? Calcified? Seems to be, yeah. Great. People have told me. I mean, the you know the editing is done. You're not you're not re- revisiting. It's set in stone, right? No, the the the, uh, the press has said that it will be in the fall. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's looking like my my novel is spring 2017. Although uh, I've been waiting for months for my editor's notes, and they haven't arrived yet. And uh, on the one hand, I'm. I think that this must mean that he's confident that I can turn him around pretty quick because mm-hmm. the manuscript is ostensibly due at the end of January. Mm-hmm. Um, and I expected to be working on it all through the fall. Um, on the other hand, I'm finding it very difficult to, to take writing seriously, knowing that this is coming down the pike and I'm going to have to revisit a novel. So I kind of haven't been doing anything. I wrote the Billy Joel thing. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I just don't – I don't feel like a writer at all. So I went to uh, – I got invited to read at the – I'll link to it. Uh, it's SUNY Brockport. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I was saying that it looks like in the last few weeks you've been to the cities of Rochester. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia. Yep. Some other one. Some other trip? Yeah. Well, it started with Montana, of course. Yeah. Uh, and there was Philly. Oh, there was a New York thing. Yeah. Um, then I went to Florida for non-literary reasons uh, to visit my grandmother and my friend. And then I went to North Carolina to attend a birthday party. Mm. And then I went to Philadelphia to give a reading. And then I went to Rochester, or rather uh, Brockport to give a reading, which is, I guess, north, northwest of Rochester. So anyway. Okay, that's what I understand. Uh, lovely, this is the Brockport Writers Forum. Lovely people, nice reading series. Um, I'm going to say two, I'm going to say two things that are really one thing that are a little kvetchy, but all in all, it was great. And if if any writers out there get invited to read at the Brockport Writers Forum, they should say yes. It's terrific. Um, among the components of the day that they lay out for you is a televised, not televised, a videotaped interview. Um, 
and they have been doing filmed interviews of writers since 1967. So there's one-hour interviews with, you know, uh, there's a whole list on here somewhere, but um, they haven't digitized it all yet, so you can't yet watch them all, but they've got, you know, Anne Sexton, I think, might have been their first one. Uh, so that was fun. And the, the end of that interview, Anne Panning, who is an English professor and is one of the coordinators of the series, she gave the interview, and it was, a fair, it was fun, it was a good conversation, and then at the end, she said, just one more little thing, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want you to answer them as quickly as possible. And she said, in fact, it's 40 questions. And the 40 questions were all false binaries. So their questions were things like, pen or pencil? <laughs> cutesy, cutesy stuff. It was a little cutesy. Pen or pencil? Boxes or briefs? Boxes or well, not that one, but, uh, you know, uh, Updick or Cheever. Uh, and that oh. went on for a good five minutes. And then every once in a while I would yell, that's not a binary. Um, anyway, uh, but the odd thing, were, the odd things were the spaces that this took place in. And it got me thinking about maybe part of the reason that the, aside from the pine whiskey, that the Union Club reading went so well, is the way it's laid out. It's kind of a wide, no one, everyone's roughly the same distance from the writers. You can hear from everywhere in the room. Uh, the bar is at the back, so there mm-hmm. aren't people like crowding to hear at the same time that they're crowding to get drinks. It's sort of it's sort of the it has a it has a nice the acoustics were adequate, especially with the room full of people. Um, this reading was odd. The stage is in sort of a a box, um, in a windowless hall, and the chairs were there are too many chairs, more chairs than could ever be accommodated by people who would want to listen to me. Um, it was fun. It was a great crowd. It was like forty people, but they were all spread out, so they seemed very few and far between. And they were so far away from me that I couldn't hear if they were laughing or not when mm. I was reading something funny. So I'd have to glance up and sort of squint into the audience to see if people were smiling um, or if they were, you know, qu- quaking with their mouths or open. gassed. Yeah, or gassed. Well, I would have accepted mm. that. Um, and there was a strange echo. So what I could, all I could hear, I could hear the echo of my own voice coming back from the back of the room, but I could not hear the reactions of the crowd. And I felt strangely alone, as though the crowd were a hologram. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was the, uh, and again, they turns out they liked it, and they told me so afterward, and I'm grateful for that. But uh, there was also a dinner. A little mm-hmm. banquet. Did you have? Did, did, you, have, you, did you have to sit at a little table, uh, <laughs> some distance away from the rest of the diners? <laughs> yeah, right. Like a like a three year old. In fact, the, the the dinner was at the same place as the reading, and you sat where you did the reading, and they sat where they were listening. <laughs> oh man, it would be fun. But they to... were trying to have a conversation with you. <laughs> it would be fun to do like a. Um... An Ishiguro like uh, book, you know, in which that 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 does a sort of surreal rendition of a reading. Maybe not actually. Maybe that would be extremely. Well, it's boring. like the um, the uh, the courtroom scenes of the trial, you know, which are once very claustrophobic. They're in the wrong spaces, right? The the, the court. There's a couple courtrooms in the Fakus. The trial. One of them's a uh, an attic. Like a, a too small attic, you know. So one's in a like a warehouse, 
One's yeah. too small and one's too big. Yeah. You know? Um, Do you see the photo I just sent you? Looking for it. You might have seen this on Instagram. This is a photo of the banquet area where the um, dinner was held. Oh. Hmm. Isn't now that that's strange? Where I, that's where a hit was held. <laughs> What Ed is looking at is a picture of um, a very large room uh, with a drop ceiling, very close, low drop ceiling with fluorescent lights in it, and and a sort of you know very short landlord carpet, and then um, with a series of mysterious unmarked doors uh, on the various walls of this of this white room, this sort of off white room, and then there is a dining table, small dining table set in the middle of this cavernous space. And uh, that's where we, where we were catered to. It was g- very good company in a very very strange room. Yeah, it's weird. But there was I I think of all this as the person who was you know who's the guest of honor. I thought I thought of all of this as value added because it was so odd. Um, mm-hmm. it felt sort of surreal. What are you doing? Are you on the trail of something? I was, uh, look, I was looking at the picture. I was looking at the I was zooming in on the picture. That's <laughs> 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 fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad you got out of that one alive. That oh, seems. of course. Yeah. Actually, and these, the, uh, um, these are the kind of people who, like, they sent me an itinerary, and the itinerary had going out for drinks like, as, a, as an item listed on my schedule as a thing that I would be expected to do. So I like, I like that very much and they were fun to hang out with. But, uh, but it got me thinking about, uh, as we've often talked about the, the whole conceptual framework of the literary reading and what can be done with or about it. I do feel like there's a, there's a, there's a better way. Or maybe we should all stay home. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. Luckily I'm not in charge. <laughs> and I have no, I have no cogent suggestions. Um, um, the, I don't like, uh, I don't like it when there's a theme. You know, yeah. I understand, like from a nonprofit point of view, or a arts organization, or a organizer's point of view, it's or advertising or trying to get people to come. It's useful to have a theme. Poets and writers coming to talk about something in particular, um, but I I like those least, and I like going to them least because they, um, it's just not how it's not how I go about things. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't. And a lot of the work I I like in any form, it's not about a theme or a topic or a subject or an issue or a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's hard to enjoy it if if we're trying to pretend that it does, right? Right. Um, I think this is why all of my AWP uh, panels uh, get rejected. It's that I I just, I I don't th- I and the people who I'm proposing things with are not thinking about it that way, and essentially the panels that we submit are designed. F- to let us have a good time in front of people and mm-hmm. thus we're rejected. Yeah. 
and, and end up doing off-campus or off-site events at bars. Um, which are we great. Might, we might, yeah, which are the reasons to go, we want to, be anyway, reason yeah. to, go to AWP, yeah. really. Don't, we, don't want any, we don't need any respectability. No, no. no. Thank you. That's Far the worst. Oh, that's what Mencken said, uh, uh, who I read a lot of in high school. Um, you know, as a literary critic, he said, that, um, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a writer is to become respectable. I think it's quite true. Yeah. Well, dying. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. Well, in lymphoma. terms of your your uh, writerly legacy, dying could be quite dying. Uh, dying is the legacy. Respectability is not. Um, and I, I, there, I do think that that writing can be useful. I, I said movements. And I realized that I do. Th- I, I, w- I, I don't like that. That very often these sort of theme or uh, uh, issue kind of readings are they're often very dilettantish and and silly. Yeah. You know about silly stuff. Um, uh, or are badly about serious things. Well, I think the uh, former is definitely the the former is definitely the more pleasing of the two. I mean, well, the, I don't mind I don't mind I don't mind being silly. Right. I mean, the, I pie, am silly. the pie and whiskey reading was was yeah. that kind and it was yeah. like let's get some smart people to be idiots for an hour. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No other other, other kinds. Of, I, I I wish I wish that more of these things were overtly political. That they were, you know, some of these things actually took some sort of stand, had more of a consequence. I did. I think that the literary reading or a gathering of smart people could could be directed more towards um, towards action. If I happen to agree with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I don't, if it's something I don't agree with, and I, you know, if it's if it's poets for Trump, I don't know if I. <laughs> Is it not the case though that that uh, the it, it's a component of the writerly frame of mind that we often prefer to let others perform the actions and for us to sit on the sidelines documenting it. Yeah, I don't always have that luxury though, and yeah. sometimes we're sometimes we're part of the problem. Sometimes that sitting on the sidelines is the problem itself, right? That can't be. I know it is though. And I'm the problem. All right, what have you linked to? Um, I've, one thing I've been thinking about this week that has, has impressed me quite a bit. That was something I was not a poet I was not aware of. I don't think I'd even heard his name. Frank until, Lima. Until uh, the poet poetry as uh, November issue of poetry um, has a little feature on this. Uh, uh, poet Frank Lima, with uh, a nice little uh, biographical and critical essay, and sort of explaining why I haven't heard of him, um, and uh, and then this little sampling of poems from nice. different points in his career. Do you uh, do you want to read a little bit of one of these? Sure. Or a whole one, if if it's uh, short. Kind of long. Let's see which one I like the most. Oh God! He said he had a shitty ass childhood. Oh yeah. Oh, a terrible childhood. Yeah, incest and alcoholic mother. Yeah, that that was a lot, a lot of bad stuff. Um, I'll read a little bit of this poem called uh, "Incidents of Travel and Poetry." Happy birthday, Kenneth Koch, February twenty seventh. We went to all those places where they restore sadness and joy and call it art. 
We were piloted by Auden, who became unbearably acrimonious when we dropped off Senor into, into the steamy skies of his beloved West Africa. The termites and ants were waiting for him to unearth the sun and Alyssa. The clouds were cool as a dog's nose pressed against our cheeks. I notice your eggshell skin is as creamy as a lion's armpit. As we crossed the horizon on strands of Yeats, oh shit, Yeats <laughs> silver hair, there is a light coffee flame in his eyes, guiding us like an old Irish house cleaner holding a candle in a black and white English movie. Yeats's lips looked like an angry Rambeau, illuminating poetry with his youth and vigorous sunlight. He knew eternity would vanish the sun at dusk. He caught it with a rainbow tied to his finger. There was nothing left after that. And so on. That, that's incidents of travel and poetry. It goes on for a page or two. It, this is a, um, head and shoulders above the, the usual poems that refer to other poets' poems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard of him either. This is yeah. New York School. Yeah, New York School. Very good. And then uh, really the beginning of another one in this that's in the in the November poetry called uh, "Bright Blue Self Portrait." Okay. I thank the spiders' webs and the circus dancers who stain our eyes with rapid movements and authorize our handcuffs to make no distinction between night and day or love and hate. No one will know the sum of our arduous daily separations from bed to work. These pillars actually belong to you, since I have not counted them, or know any more than you do where they are, or in what country they still exist. We can put all our concerns into a loaf of bread and French kisses, go to movies and watch the splashing milk on the screen imitate the forest in the moonlight. Why all the fuss about patrons becoming feathers, discharging their ideas of nobility on the evening news? And it goes on. In that mode. Yeah. I definitely like the diction of these poems. They're very conversational. Yeah. Conversational, a little ecstatic, but not too ecstatic. Excited, animated, restrained. Yeah. I look forward to learning more about this poet. Uh, me too. I will, I, will link to, I will link to him in the notes. Um, have you been um, watching the debates, the political debates? One of the virtues of having a, a toddler and deciding not to have television mm. is that I can't watch um, network shows. I mean, I watch almost anything else on the computer, and I guess with a little bit of clicking, I could watch live network shows too, but I, I don't. So no... Uh, haven't seen any of the debates. I watched a little bit of the first Republican debate um, in the Vancouver, Washington Mall while Oscar was in the play area. And uh, there was a kiosk selling televisions um, nearby. And so some of us were standing around watching that. And I think I had, I think I, I figured it out. I think <laughs> I, I see the rest of, of how that's going to play out. I, uh, I think the, the best thing uh, so far about the campaign is the bad lip reading overdubs of the of the two debates. Have you have you seen these? I saw one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're delightful. Yeah, they're delightful. Yeah, um, I uh, if I wasn't so certain, and I think that certainty pretty backed up by other people's speculation and on whatever data there is that Hillary is going to be the next president. I would be terribly, terribly worried and terrified. Oh? 
about these Republicans. Yeah. Um, I think Trump could be elected president. I really do. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I think I think he could get the Republican nomination. Yeah. And so he would what, probably what's... get the low, and he would probably be the lowest. I think what, what what this is a scenario. I think I, I think is, is plausible at this point, is that Trump gets the Republican nomination against the wishes of all Republicans who have ever voted in an election before, <laughs> <laughs> and is essentially essentially becomes a third party candidate as a party candidate, and then some you know one or two. Um, Moderate to right Republicans run as third party candidates um, and are essentially the Republican nominee. And then they, these candidates split the conservative vote and Hillary becomes president. Picture this. Yeah. A year from now, or 11 months from now, the final debates are between these candidates the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton, and third party candidate. Um, Mitt Romney. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So is you think Romney is gonna? Is there is there some? I mean, there's a draft. It, it, there's a draft Romney movement. Yeah. And I think uh, I think uh, yeah, I think they're both. I think that Romney is as crazy as Trump. Uh, yeah, sure. If not, if, if, I think Trump is probably healthier because there's nothing repressed. Yep. That, you know? Yep. Well, nothing I think that's. I think that's why you know? people like him. I think I all think those same appeal. opinions are those that are held probably by a Romney, but they're not repressed. But I know that's not quite true. Um, did you hear the David Axelrod interview with uh, Mitt Romney? No. Interesting. Do tell. Well, I mean, it's just interesting to. It's strange to hear the voice again. This is uh, yeah. recently? David Axelrod has a new podcast just in the last month or two called The Axe Files, unfortunately. Um, and there's a, little, there's a little bit of light jazz at the beginning. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, and then some, some well-calibrated um, light conversation with <laughs> political figures. And then some more light jazz, and then it's out. But it's, I think it's beguiling that he's unable to get... Uh, People, including former enemies, to uh, to speak. Yeah, the, the, the power the power of light jazz. Light jazz is very disarming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's probably some Chardonnay, uh, some Kenny G in the, in the green room. <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, i i found the i found it and and started accidentally streaming the light jazz. So here, let me hold on. This is... <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, I'll say yeah. anything now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll vote for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I predicted. I predicted here at seven fifty-five a.m. West Coast time, November fifteenth, twenty fifteen. The final ticket is Hillary, Trump, Romney, and the election results are Hillary, then Romney, then Trump. Okay, uh, it sounds plausible. So is 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 Romney making noises in this interview about uh, about running? No, no, he's saying he would never ever do it. <laughs> yeah, he's totally out of the game. Yeah, he would not consider it. He laughs at the idea. Um, Someone, please invite me as soon as possible. I, don't, I, I expect he probably doesn't. Well, I mean, he 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 did 
he did look into it um, a few, you know, a few months ago. But I think that uh, uh, I don't think I don't think the Republican electorate, which I do have some sense of, um, although it's not my tribe. Oh, it is my tribe, but it's not my affiliation. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I don't think that anybody cares at all about any of them. I was excited about any of them. Yeah, it seems to me that the... Um, I, I, You know, I haven't been watching the debates either for the same reason that you do. We, at some point, we eschewed cable, and now it's just one one or two clicks too far removed from uh, from inevitable to actually watch the debates. Plus, we don't really want to. Plus, we don't usually know they're happening until an hour after they start and we open up Twitter and see everybody um, mm-hmm. tearing their hair out over them. But um, are there an unusual number, unusually large number of debates for a year out from the election? I've been kind of stunned at how many debates. Actually, it seems had. like there are fewer than there were um, four years ago. Really? There's just more people. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I haven't been watching them, but, I, but little bits of news here and there seems to be suggesting that the um, Republican establishment is just now beginning to lose their shit. That it's sort of dawning on them that there's nobody. There's well, nobody it's hardly even a Republican establishment. You know, you look at how, how uh, um, and the last Speaker of the House just kind of walked away, and the person who was supposed to follow him up walked away. Um, and my old fishing buddy, Paul Ryan, you know, kind of set his terms for what he would do. I think yeah. sacrificing his eventual presidential um, ambitions. Um, I don't think there is much of a republic, and partly because they're crazy. I mean, they yeah. they are they're getting every little bit of every getting every they're not they're not getting the punishment they deserve for the last <laughs> thirty years of shittery. But they're beginning to get more of it. I think is a uh, uh, yeah. But also you know, the other other complication is I think that we will be very. Um, I, I think you know within the next year we will be. Um, in in much more of a war mode. Do you? Yeah. ISIS. Oh yeah, yeah. I think we'll be in in Syria. Um, in Iraq. We are in Iraq, and we've never left really. And I think we'll 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 be back. And um, I can't imagine that we won't. Damn that Bill Clinton! It's all his fault. It's you know who I blame, Grover Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he served. You know, one no, is it Coolidge who served a term, then went away, and then came back? Where did he go? What was he doing? It's all very fishy. He, he's sitting he's sitting in a chair in a dark room with spider webs mm-hmm. uh, adhering to his forehead. It was like Miss Cavendish. Shoulders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was still wearing his bridal gown. <laughs> Vote Cavendish in 04. <laughs> I'm sure I've got the date wrong. When was Coolidge president? Let's see how my off-the-top-of-my-head history. Nope. Yeah. August 2nd. 1923 to March 4th, 1929. Those are weird digits. Yeah. Yeah. Weird digits. The weird digits of... Weird digits. So it wasn't it wasn't him who was uh, president twice. It was the other one. Who was president... Silent Cal. Twice. 
twice is Grover Cleveland. He was 22 and 24. Okay. Grover. Yeah. 85 to 89 and then 93 to 97. Where was he? Where was he? That, where? my friend, is that's where everything started to get hinky and janky. <laughs> it was during the Cleveland's interregnum. <laughs> he's got a he's got a dead eyed stare for sure. Look at that. Well, this, that's that's the second time. That's after the uh, <laughs> the sickening. After the change. <laughs> that's what the that's what the pause between uh, between terms was called the sickening. The, the sickening after the sickening. Yeah, you notice that David Axelrod, by the way, is using the same microphone uh, that I am. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I should get together. <laughs> you know, we should have Mitt Romney on as a guest. Ask him what he thought of Grover Cleveland. What do you really think of Grover Cleveland? Where was he? I should get him to interview Grover Cleveland. Definitely. Through the through the power of the seance. I think that uh, my my uh, my family is on the sidewalk. Um, they want to come in. <laughs> okay, does that, does that mean we should stop podcasting? <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well, then come to lunch. Because it's time for lunch. Box with Angel. That's right, it's time for love.